Welcome to Learning with Lowell. I'm your host, Lowell Thompson. We cover biotech and science-related topics on this show, such as startups working on antibiotic drugs or colon cancer, to venture capitalists talking about funding and how that worked, to people talking about how they found a science-backed startup. Two, and this is one of my favorite parts, people talking about specific science-related topics, such as whales or protein engineering. You're really going to get a lot, and it's all going to be about science on this podcast. Today we're joined by Ingrid. She is the Chief Scientific Officer of PVP Biologics, which is working on a therapeutic for treating celiac disease. She's also a a translational investigator at the Institute for Protein Design. She got her start at an iGEM competition, and we get into what she's built, a little bit about her life, and some recommendations at the end. When you do have time for yourself, what do you do for fun? Like, what are you a nerd about that kind of helps you rejuvenate at the end of a a long day of clinical trial prep and stuff. God, what do I do for fun? Yeah. Uh, I have I have two small children. I don't do anything for fun. <laughs> <laughs> they can be fun. I don't have kids, so I don't know what I'm talking about, but maybe they could be fun. Oh, no, they're, t- they're tons of fun, but that's basically what I do. I work and then I come home and then and then children. But, you know, I'm not complaining. They're they're wonderful. They're a lot of fun, but it doesn't leave much time for external hobbies. You can make them your hobby or like or, or like trick them into liking something that you like and just be like, yeah, this is all for you. And then it's really just for you. You know, like, subtly, yeah, like, not when they're so little. I mean, oh, I kind of pictured like five and like five to ten, but maybe they're no, yeah. both under five. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah. I, no offense, but I feel like kids around that age that, like, yeah, they're, they're a resource sink when it, like, cause they're like so much development goes on. So. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah. So I would say that my hobby is probably work because <laughs> <laughs> what I do have spare time, I'm, I'm, Thinking about thinking about work, thinking about cool things that are happening at work. Do you feel like what what you do now is is like the vocation or the thing that you were meant to do? Like not in like a fate sense. Oh yeah, for a long time I've felt amazed that I even get paid to to you know to do what it is that I really enjoy. I mean, I I I, I didn't go into to biology molecular biology because I thought it was extremely lucrative. I went in because I. Because I, I loved the concept, the uh, subject matter. It's, it's so incredibly interesting to be involved with how life works on, on such a small level. To learn about the, the fundamentals of how, of how living things live, what makes something alive, what makes it live, the little molecular machines that are in all of us. With your specialized perspective, are there things that people would be surprised exist on the, you know, the molecular, if that made sense? Well, I think people would be surprised if they knew... For example, how many microbes live in your body? Is there like nine out of every 10 cells are not our cells? And that each human cell carries essentially ingested microbe cells from, you know, millions and in billions of years ago. Isn't the the energy guy in the cell, isn't isn't like it has a membrane so people think... Yeah, the mitochondria. Yeah, there the, you go. The, the powerhouse of the cell. It has its own DNA. And it's 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 actually microbial DNA. And actually, it's the only DNA you get that is inherited just from your mother. So that's what they mean when they say mitochondrial even stuff all the time. Or I, I only say that because I, I watch Battlestar Galactica. Oh, <laughs> that's on my to do list of, of shows to watch when I oh, have more time. It's so good. I think you'll. Well, I don't know much about your interests other than children and <laughs> pro, uh, protein engineering, but um, you might enjoy it. If you like sci-fi, it's really good. So I'm sure I would love it. What are there specific things about protein engineering or proteins in general that, that get gets you interested that you kind of like 
that no one else would really find interesting that you kind of realize that it's like the nerdiest thing is that how you find it interesting well i think you know that in particular the enzyme we work with um you know an, an enzyme being a, a protein that performs a chemical reaction the the specific way in which it uh, in the specific chemistry in which it performs that reaction, it's really cool to me, both because there's there's so much of it that we know, because we can predict the structure of the molecule and the chemical reactions that occur. And there's so much about the enzyme that we just don't understand why it why it has this behavior, specifically this behavior or that behavior under certain conditions. So, and I and I think that interplay of 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 where we think the line is in our knowledge and the unknown is so is so interesting, especially since because that line items that are on that line can so often prove to th- that we that our knowledge was not quite correct. Have you, in the process of any of the research you've done, been surprised, or was it, or was it all kind of like, okay, if I research this, this will kind of come from it. You kind of have a good idea what you were, what was going to be the result, or or were you ever surprised by the results? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely. That's why we repeat experiments so many times. So we get surprising results, and you need to be able to tease what's real and what's due to artifacts or user error. But why did you name it Puma Max? If I'm saying that. <laughs> so they, so when we engineered the enzyme, we didn't start from scratch. We started with a template. The enzyme's a type of enzyme called a protease, and that means it's an enzyme that breaks down proteins. And the protease that we used as a template is called cumamylysin AS. And this is a, an enzyme that's made by a bacterium called Alicyclobacillus sundiensis, which grows in acidic soils in Japan. So we used this protease as a template and then engineered our, our changes into the protease itself. But the 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 body of the enzyme, it still is it has large parts that are cumamylysin. And so when when we were testing the original prototypes of these enzyme this this enzyme technology on um, just a very simplified uh, target, the enzymes that had the enzyme that had the maximum amount of activity, we named it Kuma Max, and that's basically it. That's why we called it Kuma Max. And uh, and the enzyme has has gone through a number of iterations since then. There are a number of different variants of Kuma Max, and uh, and so the one we have today, it's we call it you know Kuma a number, and it's based on the original Kuma Max prototype. I, I believe you, you you like the original version of Kuma Max was developed at an iGEM competition, and then you kind of like bunted it off into making an actual therapy that's going to affect people, if I, if I remember correctly. So did you did you ever think that that would be something you were going to do, or did? Was the original version of or vision you had for yourself being like a lab scientist, or did you always envision yourself building something like this to help people and like drive it to, through clinical trials and make a therapy that would you know impact no life? Well, I couldn't have foreseen that I'd be working on a therapeutic for celiac disease, but this is exactly what I wanted to do when I came into graduate school. I fa- I actually founded the UW iGEM team. And the reason is because, you know, I wanted to get involved in that biology engineering, engineering of biology. And I'd heard of iGEM. I was not, it was not very big at the time. That was in 2007. And I went to the iGEM competition, learned what it was about. And then I came back to Seattle and I, and I started the UW team, which is still in existence. And, um, and then I, I led the, the first 
the first year was led by me, and then I brought in a, a number of really excellent uh, graduate students that shouldered leading the team with me. So we co-led the team, and um, and we worked together for several years. Uh, 2011 was the year. Every year we had very diverse projects, and and one year we had students who had friends with celiac disease. They wanted to build a therapeutic for the disease, and so. And that year, we actually had several different projects. Uh, so, I, I, you know, it's, it's impossible to know if it, what would happen with any of these. But what I knew is what I was getting two things out of it. And the first was, um, you know, I was going to graduate school for microbiology. And so I was getting plenty molecular biology training. And that's that's really what I went to graduate school for. But I was learning basic research. I wasn't... Um, so, you know, I went into iGEM to, to work on engineering. And so uh, so I was getting that sort of engineering bent uh, uh, desire met. And then the other thing is I was teaching, which I enjoyed. So those two things. But, I, you know, I never really – I didn't start the program intending to work on something specific that came out of the program. But the prototype was that we built with the students that year um, – we we came we actually won the competition that year out of over 165 teams. So it was the first time a U.S. team had ever won the award, which was exciting. And then we came back to Seattle, and the the students um they we worked for a few more months, and um, we published a paper on Kuma Max prototype. And then students went off to graduate school, and uh, and then I sat down with the other iGEM. Uh, advisor and with uh, David Baker at the UW, who in whose lab who was working closely with the iGEM team, and uh, we decided that this technology was was really too good to to ignore, and so I took it up as my postdoc project in David's lab, and uh, then as a faculty member at the Institute for Protein Design, and then it and then we spun it out with a partnership with Takeda Pharmaceuticals and. Um, yeah, it's just been go, go, go ever since that time. Will you ever go back to academia or is this like CTO type person where you're going to be? I'm not against going back. I mean, it's, I, I, um, I enjoy academia. I like to, I like to teach. Uh, the research that we did was really exciting. I, I still think that what's going on in the Institute for Protein Design is really exciting, uh, though I may have less time than I would like to, um, to keep on top of everything they're doing over there. But when I do have the chance to follow some of it, it's, you know, this is cutting edge stuff. That's, that's, it's so cool. Um, so it's, uh, you know, I, I really like, I really, like, I don't know what's good in, in store for me. <laughs> I, I tend to take it project by project. I found that if I try to plan too much and give myself a 10 year goal or something, some, some amazing opportunity comes up and, um, and the, you know, the, it just completely changes everything. So I, I try to keep my, uh, my mind open. So then the engineering question. So you went from postdoc, faculty, academia person to bunting out and creating your own thing. What does your daily life look like now versus when you were in academia when it comes to the research? Is it similar or is it entirely different in the things you do? I think it's, it's more probably like clinical based and application, but would be my guess. But at the same time, I don't know. So what would. Oh, it's very different. So when I was in academia, uh, mostly when I was a grad student and then postdoc, um, and then less so when I was, uh, you know, the, a faculty member, but still, to some extent, I was working in the lab. So, you know, entirely through my, my PhD program, that's what, what I did was lab work. 
I haven't picked up a pipette in, um, well, it's been years. And um, I mean, not a huge number of years, a few years, maybe a couple of years, but it's um, maybe, maybe slightly longer than that. And I'd have to really think. But now what I do is I run a lab in Seattle. Uh, it's the PVP Biologics Lab. And I also direct research that's happening, well, more development, I guess, that's happening elsewhere. So at, at third party locations. And so, you know, if if you were to look at me and watch me work, a lot of my work is typing on my computer, <laughs> writing emails, analyzing data, designing experiments, you know, researching different things and um, having meetings like this, um, meeting with my team. My team is mostly based in San Diego, so we, we do a lot of video conferencing. So that's that's a, that's a, a lot of what I do. I hear I I don't know if you've ever been to Scotland, but I hear Seattle's a lot like Scotland in in climate and like it looks like it feels similar. I've not been to either, but like I hear these things. So if you ever go to Scotland, compare and contrast and let me know if that's true. But uh, yeah, I I lived there for a year actually in Scotland. I can and add, the weather yeah. the weather the weather is um ah it's a little different. It's certainly a lot sunnier in Seattle than it was in Scotland at least for the year I was there. Uh, Scotland was drizzly and you would walk and um, you would just get wet because even if you had an umbrella, you would walk into the water. It was so foggy. Here, it drizzle rains a lot, but I don't know. We have sunny. We have a lot of sunny days, too. Oh, it sounds really when I, I, I like looking at nature. Grew up on a farm. And, I don't know. I don't need to justify it. It's, it's fun to do. And so I look at like images of Seattle, like the, the region, like there's this Olympic Olympian park or something like that. And some really beautiful looking nature parts. Yeah. I don't know if you get out, but you don't get out. So I, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't reference, <laughs> I, I shouldn't reference the outside world. You'll get jealous. So. No, I get out with my, with my kids. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, we, we get out, we, we have fun. We go on ferries. Um, we try to make it out to the mountains though. That can be tricky. Do you ever see yourself being like the CEO type person or are you, completely content with the science wheelhouse. I was the CEO of PVP Biologics for a while before we spun out. We actually founded PVP as Proteus Biologics in 2012. And um, yeah, although we didn't do a whole lot with it, we had to change the name because we got a cease and desist letter from a, a Proteus Digital Health in California, even though, you know, we had, at that point were just a company in name only with no assets. But um, so we changed our name to something to PVP. Um, and I, uh, so when we started looking for funding uh, and support um, to in order to support our spin out, uh, you know, I, I had been the, the CEO for for a long time, but not a lot had happened. So that's really when my my work as a CEO jumped, I would say, more than exponentially. I mean, it was a huge amount of work. But it's not what I what I mean. Being a CEO is a lot of responsibility, and it's not what I. Um, a, a lot of what I was doing was distanced from the science, and I really missed it. And so when I and and I looked for a long time for someone that fit with what I you know what we thought PVP's vision really was, and finally I was introduced to Adam Simpson and Malcolm Hill, who became our CEO and our chief development officer, our CDO. And, uh, and I could not be happier in handing off the 
the tasks and responsibilities of, of the CEO to the worthy, very worthy shoulders of, of Adam Simpson. Well, I, I always feel that well, I, I make this comment because I sense like some feeling that you had to justify your desire to like move, go back to science. But I, I think it's perfectly acceptable to not acceptable, but like good to be doing what you are great at versus something that you're good at. You know, if you're if you're great at the science, like I think like that's what you, you know you should be doing. And then you know bring someone in who's great at the CEO stuff. But maybe I, maybe I'm just like misreading it. But like I was like I noticed when sometimes people talk about like oh I get let someone else be CEO or I I relinquish like the top title. Um, like sometimes people feel like they have to justify it. It's like well no, it's like if if you're if you're great at something else, like have someone else be great do that do that role that's gonna be great at it so that. Together, you're multiplicative and you can do even greater things together. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, as a grad student, you're not trained in all of the things that that go into making a successful biological product slash biotech company. There's, you know, there's a lot. You need to have the science and it needs to be solid. But it's just the beginning. You need to have IP. You need to you know, be able to protect your IP. You need to carve out your own IP space in a way that doesn't infringe on others. You need to, um, you need to have funding. <laughs> so you need, you know, you need to know how to talk about your product. Um, you need a lot that, um, that you, you need to be able to make it uh, and achieve a, a reasonable target cost of goods. That's a, that's a huge thing. Um, you need to be able to show it works in clinical trials, which is a lot harder than it sounds. You know, proving that a drug works in clinical trials is no easy matter. Um, you need to, to make sure that there are people out there who even want your product and that the, and that the market out there is, um, is sufficient to justify the cost, the tremendous cost of, of bringing a drug through clinical trials. All those things are um, are things that we're, you're not really taught in graduate school, uh, at least as as a as a um, you know as a, as a PhD biotech student. Um, they're, they're kind of things you have to pick up on the way. How would you like what resources and or books or stuff would you recommend people read to learn more about protein and developing uh, their their stuff through clinical trials and basically everything that you've learned since bunting out like what type of what what how would you recommend other people gain that type of knowledge and well um so i guess uh, i mean you've talked to brandon so the um you know the the protein engineering the epicenter for this type of research is really at the institute for protein design and learning about rosetta um is, is a great way to get involved. Of course, Rosetta is a programming language that's not exactly the most beginner user friendly. So, um, th but there's a, a computer like a game like interface to Rosetta called Foldit. And so, for people who um, who don't have a huge background in things like you know protein design, molecular biology, or even coding, um, I, I would recommend. You know, starting with fold it, put together some puzzles using fold it. Uh, it's a it's a um, it's a good primer towards how molecules come together. Is there is there any like comprehensive books or resources 
Because I, I, I read textbooks, but I always feel like they don't go into much detail. So I have to like go to the back of the book and find where their sources are and then look at those things. So in that regard, textbooks are pretty good. But Yeah, te- textbooks are good. Um, to get more of, an, of a big picture example, um, there's always, you know, you could go to Rob Carlson's book, uh, Biology is Technology, mm-hmm. which covers a lot of, of um, how, you know, how biology is, is – used today and um and what are the industries that depend on biological engineering so how does how does the protein you're developing counteract celiac like how does that so the the enzyme is engineered to break down the specific fragments of gluten that cause disease so that the celiac disease is characterized by an inappropriate immune response to fragments of dietary gluten uh, which is a protein found in any food containing uh, wheat, rye, or barley. Um, and the the issue is that in 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 everybody, when you eat gluten, uh, your body only breaks it down partially, um, and it does that because gluten is highly enriched in amino acids that are just difficult for people's digestive tracts to break down. This doesn't make it bad; it just makes it difficult to digest. And and in most normal healthy people, these difficult to digest fragments just pass right through with no problem. The basis for celiac disease is that in in, in some people, some genetically susceptible people, these incompletely digested gluten fragments actually trigger in 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 immune response. So they trigger inflammation in the intestines, which causes all the problems associated with the disease. And so and so our our enzyme is an enzyme that's been engineered to target those difficult to digest fragments of gluten and to break them down. And furthermore, it's been engineered to do this in this in the stomach, which is a notoriously harsh and difficult environment. And so it breaks down those fragments in the stomach before they can get to the intestines and cause disease. At least that's what it does in theory. And furthermore, it's, it's, it's been engineered to be specific for these fragments of gluten so that it's not affected by other proteins you might eat during, during a meal, like meat or dairy protein. So it's kind of like taking an, an antacid when you have an upset stomach, but it's more specifically geared to the, that gluten. Yeah, I, the, the analogy that we normally use is that it's kind of like a it's kind of like a lactate for lactose intolerance, but this or it's, it's it's like a lactate, but you know for gluten. Well, it, do you do you expect it to be completely neutralizing it, or will it just be like eighty percent effective? Or do you have any like idea like how effective it will be in counteracting disease? <laughs> well, it's very effective in the lab. <laughs> I mean, what we do is we look at it in lab. Uh, situation and we look at how much it can break down and even though people with celiac disease can react to even very small amounts of gluten we think we can drive the amount of gluten from a normal adjusted amount of gluten to 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 down to that level and below at least that's what our lab data tells us so we're you know we're we're very interested to see what it'll do in people of course it's difficult to predict what exactly what will happen in people but we're hopeful yeah, uh, clinical trials are one of the things I like to study for fun, and it, it it's interesting how often things die. But it's it's like a good thing too. Like it doesn't work, and you know you don't want something not to work to be used on humans. Like I think DDT or something. Now that's the there's like a really good example where people like uh, mothers were given birth control and it made their kids like lose an arm or something or grow an arm in like the 50s because they didn't do like proper yeah yeah 
like I'm all for the proper regulatory <laughs> procedures. Oh yeah, I don't. No, want... the, it's it, we. It is wonderful that the FDA exists. Yeah, I, I am very much pro FDA. <laughs> I my dad has a, a, a gluten free life, and I don't like anything he has to eat. It's horrible. <laughs> so like, I, yeah, it's a problem. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a problem. It, it it he made bread that's gluten free, and it looked like a sponge, like from the sea floor. <laughs> and he tried feeding it to me. I was like, no, I'm not eating this. But so I look forward to Cool uh, Max coming out so I can give it to him and he can <laughs> he can eat healthy and uh, not have those problems. But well, so the the uh, there currently are no th- approved therapeutics for celiac disease. And the first therapeutics uh, that are approved by the FDA are thought to be approved as an adjunct to a gluten free diet. So you know, you wouldn't be saying to someone with celiac that you have a license to go and eat all the gluten you want. Uh, of course, we, we don't we don't know exactly how the magnitude of how much this will, this will be effective in people. Um, but strictly speaking, from a regulatory perspective, the first therapeutics are likely to be approved as an adjunct. Last question is, what are you hopeful for with, with everything you're working on with, you know, probably the, the struggles you have with not having any fun free time, but like what, what makes you, what, what, what gives you hope? Like what, what, what keeps you fueled for the future or basically I just want to leave on a positive note. So like what's a really great positive note we can, in your opinion? Um, about my work? Yeah. Or anything that you, I mean, I would say anything you monitor, but you don't monitor. So yeah, about, about your work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of something that can be applicable to my work and beyond. I mean, so we have this molecule. It's uh, it's engineered uh, to it's it, it it's based on a molecule that's naturally occurring. It's engineered, although it's been engineered using entirely naturally occurring amino acids. So there's nothing strange about it. Uh, it's it's one of the first proteins that has been designed. Um, it, in fact, it is it is the first enzyme that's been designed using these protein design tools it's been you know i don't want to say intelligently designed because of the connotations associated with that term but it's it's been um specifically engineered to be a drug and uh, and it's so far so good i mean it's the the implications of being able to design a new protein that has user-defined qualities that can do things that you could never find in nature is is a big deal, and it, put, it gives a lot of hope towards personalized medicine, directed, uh, specialized treatments. Um, the 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 reason why I say you could never f- find this enzyme in nature it would be very difficult to do so is not because it can break down gluten in in the gastric compartment because. You know, there are probably enzymes out there that can do that, but it's it's the ability to be specific, to be specific for gluten in the gastric compartment. That's something that it would take you a very, long, very long time to find that naturally. And here we've been able to make one. We were able to make the prototype in the space of about three months for the original student competition. And and I, I think that's amazing, and uh, it shows a lot. It, it, I find that to be to be very encouraging for the progress of biological technologies. Mm-hmm. And I, I I definitely agree. That was Ingrid, the CSO of PVP Biologics and the translational investigator for the Institute for Protein Design. We got into a little bit of her life, the things she struggles with, 
some book recommendations, and what's special about what she's developing and who it can help. Other than that, I want to inform people before we go that there is a new way to show support for the podcast and to keep it advertisement free from now until forever, which is called Patreon. If you go to Patreon and look for Learning with Lowell, you'll see this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We can be found on Twitter at Lowell was here, Facebook, and on the website, learningwithlowell.com. Also sign up for the newsletter where you can hear amazing content every Monday, new episodes every Tuesday, and new blog posts around every Thursday. Remember to share and tell your friends, please and thank you.